Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob. Reading today from Martin Luther's work about carnal security. I've got a series of his sermons that I was able to get at the Stillwaters Revival books. You might want to check that out at puritandownloads.com. Puritandownloads.com. You can get the whole Puritan hard drive yourself. All kinds of stuff on there from the Reformation, from, from other things that are very secure and strong in the Word and in the Lord. Check that out, will you? This is uh, Carnal Security. We're on part two, the final part of this message. Israel's trial of God is the next topic, and I'm reading num the numbers that I read are paragraph numbers. We're on paragraph 18 now. In the fourth admonition, the apostle says, Neither let us make trial of the Lord, as some of them made trial, or tested him, and perished by the serpents. This too is a heinous sin and is, is proven by the terrible punishment. In Numbers 21, we read that after the people had journeyed for 40 years in the wilderness and God had brought them through all their difficulties and given them victory over their enemies, as they drew near to the promised land, they became dissatisfied and impatient. They were setting out to go around the land of the Edomites who refused them a passage through their country. When they began to murmur against God and Moses for leading them out of Egypt to begin with. Therefore God sent them fiery serpents and they were bitten. A multitude of the people perishing. Complaining against God is here called tempting him. Men set themselves against the word of God and blaspheme as if God and his word were utterly insignificant because his disposing is not as they desire. Properly speaking, it is tempting God when we not only disbelieve him, but oppose him, refusing to accept what he says as true and desiring that our own wisdom rule. That is boasting ourselves against him. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10:22, do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? 19. Such was the conduct of the Jews. Notwithstanding God's promise to be their God, to remain with them and to preserve them in trouble, if only they would believe in him and trust him. And notwithstanding... He proved his care by daily providences expressed as special blessings and strange wonders. And yet, all these things availed not to save them from murmuring. When the ordering of events accorded not exactly with their wisdom or desire, or when perhaps disaster or failure threatened, immediately they began to make outcry against Moses. In other words, against his God-given office and message. Why have you led us out of Egypt? They would complain. Meaning, if you bore, as you say you do, the word and command of God, and, and if he truly designed to work such marvels with us, he would not permit us to suffer want like this. In fact, they, they couldn't believe God's dealings with them were in accord with his promise and design. They insisted that he should, through Moses, perform what they dictated. Otherwise, he should not be their God. 
at the outset when they entered the wilderness after having come out of Egypt and having experienced God's wonderful preservation of them in the Red Sea and his deliverance from their enemy and having received from him bread and flesh, they immediately began to murmur against Moses and Aaron and to chide them for leading into the wilderness where no water was. Is Jehovah among us or not? They burst forth. Exodus 17, 7. This was indeed, as our text says, tempting God. For abundantly, as his word and his wonders had been revealed to them, they refused to believe unless he should fulfill their desires. Paragraph 20. They persisted in so opposing and tempting God as long as they were in the wilderness until the 40th year, to which God testifies when he says to Moses, Because all those men that have seen my glory and my signs, which I have wrought in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have tempted me these ten times and have not hearkened to my voice. That's Numbers 14.22. It was in the second year after the departure from Egypt that the Jews murmured about the water. And now in the 40th year, when they should have been humbled, uh, humbled after, after so long experience, and when they whose lives covered that period ought to have been conscious of the wonderful deliverances they had experienced in not being destroyed with others of their number, but being brought safely to the promised land. Now they begin anew to complain with great impatience and bitterness. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Or in other words, you often remind us, you represent God's command, Moses, and you've promised us great things. This is a fine way you take to lead us into the land. And when here we have yet farther to journey and are all going to die in the wilderness. 21. Notice, Paul, in speaking of how they tempted God, says they tempted Christ, pointing to the fact that the eternal Son of God was from the beginning with his church and with the people who received from the ancient fathers the promise of his coming in the form of man. They believed, as we do, that Christ, to use Paul's words in the beginning, was the rock that followed them. Therefore, the apostle gives us to understand the point of the Israelites' insult was directed against faith in Christ, against the promise concerning him. Moses was compelled to hear them protest after this manner. Yes, you boast about a Messiah who is one with God and who is with us to lead us, one revealed to the fathers and promised to be born to us of our flesh and blood to redeem us and bring relief to all men, a Messiah who for that reason adopts us for his own people to bring us into the land. But where is he? This is a fine way he relieves us. Is our God one to, to permit us to wander for 40 years in the wilderness until we all perish? 22. That such sin and blasphemy was the real meaning of their murmurings is indicated by the fact that Moses afterward, in the terrible punishment of the fiery serpents by which the people were bitten and died, erected at God's command 
a brazen serpent, and whoever looked upon it lived. This was to them a sign of Christ, who was to be offered for the salvation of sinners. It taught the people they had blasphemed against God, incurred His wrath, and deserved punishment. And therefore, in order to be saved from wrath and condemnation, they had no possible alternative but to believe again in Christ. Next heading, murmuring against God, open revolt. Number 23. This last point is akin to the one preceding. Paul defines murmuring against God as an open revolt actuated by belief in the Word, a manifestation of anger and impatience, an unwillingness to obey when events are not ordered according to the pleasure of flesh and blood, and a readiness instantly to see God as hating and unwilling to help. Just so the Jews persistently behaved despite Moses' efforts to reconcile being also continually punished for their perversity, they ought prudently to have abandoned their murmurings, but they only murmured the more. 24. The apostles' intent in the narration is to warn all who profess to be Christians or people of God, as we shall hear later. He holds that the example of the Israelites ought deeply to impress us teaching us to continue in the fear of God and to be conscious of it and to guard against self-confidence. For God, by the punishments mentioned, shows forcibly enough to the world that He will not trifle with nor excuse our sin, as the world and our own flesh fondly imagine. If we, under cover of His high and sacred name, dare despise and pervert his word. If we, actuated by presumptuous confidence in our own wisdom, our own holiness, and the gifts of God, follow our private opinions, our own judgment and inclinations, and vainly satisfy ourselves with the delusion, God is not angry with me, that one so meritorious, so superior in his sight? <laughs> Paragraph 25. You learn here that God spared none of the great throng from Egypt, among whom were many worthy and eminent individuals, even the progenitors of Christ in the tribe of Judah. He visited terrible punishment upon the distinguished princes and the leaders among the priesthood and other classes, and that in the sight of the entire people among whom he had performed so many marvelous wonders. Having by Moses delivered them from temporal bondage in Egypt, and through his office spiritually baptized and sanctified them, having given Christ to speak with, lead, defend, and help them, having dealt kindly with them as, as would a father with his children, Yet he visits terrible destruction upon these Jews because they have abused his grace and brought forth no fruits of faith and have become proud, boasting themselves the people of God, children of Abraham, circumcised, sole possessors of the promise of a Messiah, and consequently sure of participating in the kingdom of God 
and enjoying his grace. 26. Now, as Paul teaches, if terrible judgment and awful punishment came upon these illustrious and good people, let us not be proud and presumptuous. We are far inferior to them and cannot hope in these last ages of the world to know gifts and wonders as great and glorious as they knew. Let us see ourselves mirrored in them and profit by their example, being mindful that while we are privileged to glory in Christ, in the forgiveness of sins and the grace of God, we must be faithfully careful not to lose what we have received and fall into the same condemnation and punishment before God, which was the fate of this people. For we have not yet completed our pilgrimage. We have not arrived at the place toward which we journey. We are still on the way and must constantly go forward in the undertaking, in spite of dangers and hindrances that may assail. The work of salvation is indeed begun in us, but as yet is incomplete. We've come out of Egypt. We've passed through the Red Sea. That is, we've been led out of the devil's dominion into the kingdom of God through Christian baptism, but we are not yet through the wilderness and in the promised land. There's a possibility of our still wandering from the way into defeat and missing salvation. Nothing is lacking on God's part, paragraph 27. He's given us his word and the sacraments, has bestowed the Spirit, given grace and the necessary gifts. He's willing to help us even further. It rests with ourselves not to fall from grace, not to thrust it from us through unbelief, ingratitude, disobedience, and contempt of God's word. For salvation is not to him who only begins well, but as Christ says, he that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. But the apostle continues, Now these things happened to them by way of example, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages are come. And we believe that Martin Luther would have agreed with John Calvin and the others that it is not up to us that Christ will keep his own people to the end. But there are people among us who are not his own people, as in the wilderness. Some were and some were not. Oh, you need to ask yourself some serious questions. Back to Luther now. Israel's career and admonition to individuals. Paragraph 28. When you read or hear this historical example, the terrible punishment the Jewish people suffered in the wilderness, think not it is an obsolete record and without present significance. The narrative is certainly not written for the dead, but for us who live. It is intended to restrain us, to be a permanent example to the whole church. For God's dealings with his own flock are always the same from the beginning of time to the end. Likewise, must the people of God or the church always be the same. This history is a portrait of the church in every age, representing largely its actual life, the vital part. For it shows on what the success of the church on earth always depends and how it acts. The record teaches 
that the church is at all times wonderfully governed and preserved by God without human agency. In the midst of manifold temptations, trials, suffering, and defeat, that it does not exist as an established government regulated according to human wisdom with harmony of parts and logical action, but is continually agitated, impaired, and weakened in itself by much confusion and numerous penalties, that the great and best part, who bear the name of the church, fall and, and bring about a state of things so deplorable God can no longer spare, but is compelled to send punishments in the nature of mutinies and similar disorders, the terrible character of which leaves but a small proportion of the people upright. 29. Now, if such disaster befell the nation selected of God, chosen from the first as his people, among whom he performed works marvelous and manifest beyond anything ever known since, what better thing may we expect for ourselves? Indeed, how much greater the danger threatening us, how much reason we have to take heed that the same fate, or worse, overtake not ourselves. With reference to the things chronicled in our text, Paul tells us they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the age are come. That is, we are now in the last and most evil of days, a time bringing many awful dangers and severe punishments. It is foretold in the scriptures, predicted by Christ and the apostles, that awful and distressing times will come, when there will be wide wanderings from the true faith, sad desolations of the church, and alas, we see the prophecies only too painfully fulfilled in past heresy and later in Muslim and the papacy, Mohammedanism. The verse, paragraph 30, the era constituting the last time began with the apostles. The Christians living since Christ's ascension constitute the people of the latter times, the little company left for heaven. And we Gentiles, amidst the innumerable multitude of the ungodly generation in the wide world, must experience worse calamities than befell the Jews who lived under the law of Moses and the word of God under an admirable external discipline, a well-regulated government. Yet even in this final age, so near the end of time, when we should be occupied with proclaiming the gospel everywhere, the great multitude are chiefly employed with boasting their Christian name. We see how extravagantly the Pope extols his church, teaching that outside its pale no Christians are to be found on earth and that the entire world must regard him as the head of the church. Paragraph 31. True, his subjects were baptized into Christ, called to the kingdom of God, and granted the sacrament in the name of Christ. But how do they conduct themselves? Under that superior name and honor, they suppress Christ's word and his kingdom. For more than a thousand years now, they have desolated the church, and to this hour most deplorably persecuted on the other hand, great countries, vast kingdoms, claiming to be Christian, but disregarding the true doctrines of faith, are punished by the Turks' desolating hand. And instead of the incense of Christianity, 
with them is the revolting door of Muhammad's faith. Great, number 32, great and terrible was the punishment of the Jewish people. Seemingly, no disaster could befall man more awful than overtook them in the wilderness. Yet, it was physical punishment. And although many, through unbelief and contempt of God, fell and incurred everlasting condemnation, still the word of God remained with a remnant, Moses and the true church. But the punishment of this last age is infinitely more awful, for God permits the pure doctrine to be lost and sends strong delusions that they who receive not the truth nor love it shall believe falsehood and be eternally lost. Second Thessalonians 2.10 Such has been our reward. We have only too terribly suffered punishment. And if we are not more thankful for the grace God extends in his word, a last gleam of light on the point of extinction, we shall meet with retribution even more appalling. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Number 33, here is summed up the teaching of the above examples. The sermon is directed against the self-confident. Some there were among the Christian Corinthians who boasted they were disciples of the great apostles and who had even received the Holy Spirit, but who stirred up groups of people against them. They desired to be commended in all their acts. To these, Paul would say, No, dear brother, do not be secure, not too sure where you stand. When you think you stand most firmly, you're perhaps nearest to falling. You may fall too far to rise again. They of the wilderness were worthy people and began well, doing great deeds, yet they fell. Deplorably, they were destroyed. Therefore be cautious. Suffer not the devil to deceive you. You will need to be vigilant, for you are in the flesh which always strives against the spirit. And you have the devil for enemy, and dangers and difficulties beset you on all sides. Be careful, lest you lose what you have received. You have only made a beginning. The end is yet to be attained. So we must be wary and steadfast that we may, as Paul has it, work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Philippians 2.12 Therefore hath no temptation taken you, but such as man can bear, such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above what you are able. Number 34, Paul's meaning is, I must not terrify you too much. I would in a measure comfort you so far, You've had no temptations greater than flesh and blood offer. They've risen among yourselves, one holding another in contempt, one doing another injustice, allowing adulteries and other evils to creep in, which things are indeed not right nor decent. You must resolve to reform in these things, lest worse error befall you. For should Satan get hold of you in earnest with his false doctrine and spiritual delusions, his strong temptations of the soul, contempt of God, for instance, such as assailed Peter and many others of the saints, you could not stand. You are yet weak. You are new and untried Christians. Then thank God who gives you strength to bear your present temptations and to retain you, presents what is best for you, admonishing you 
through his word, to be on your guard against falling yet deeper into temptation. Martin Luther. I know there are shades of Arminian in his speaking. I think he would not go there. I believe that those who are Christ's will hear things like this. Yet all these various levels of the Christian person can be found in the church. And it looks like some of them are on their way to falling away completely. Our belief is that they, if they do fall away completely, they never really were with us as Judas. Um, and that those who are truly his, though they are on their way to falling away, it is words like Luther's and Paul's that will at the last minute snatch them from the fire. This is the means God has of getting his people to where he promised to get them. What he started, he will finish. That is our faith. Thank you for being with me today. And I do hope that you'll go looking around the website for other teachings of great men of God, their stories, their words. Touch that you'll be looking at the North Korea audios. You'll be listening to some of the other teachings that I've put here. And that you will go to my other website, FaulknerTales.com. And just yesterday began a blog that, again, doesn't quite fit with the message of sermon audio. It is not theological. For the most part, there are scriptures involved. But I'll be talking about what I was talking about before with the uh, Greater Than Solomon series. I'm still, my heart is still wanting to reach out to those who have been imprisoned here in the United States and other Western places by the church. Uh, I didn't say that all homes are all institutions that made, are made by Christians are evil places, not at all. But there are some. There are some who are definitely, in the name of Jesus, abusing people. My heart is with these people, and I want to do something, and the blog will address that. Right now it's at teengulag.com, but that just hasn't really begun yet. But we'll tell you more about it as the days go by. Thank you for being here today. Again, this is the Hackberry House of Chosun. Lord willing, we'll talk again <clears throat> real soon. Bye-bye.